We are so excited you've decided to listen to this week's sermon podcast. Hey, we release sermon podcasts weekly, so be sure to follow us and hit that notification bell so you can be notified when episodes are released. God bless and enjoy. Now we stood and we gave him a hand clap, but that didn't sound like a great hand clap to me. Did it to you? Let's do it one more time. Amen, amen. God is good all the time, and uh, I, I can I can see uh, the crowd is thin today, and I expected uh, I had great faith for that uh, because I've been getting the text messages. Uh, the 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 deer are running scared today, and uh, a few folks are sick, and uh, others are just uh, sleeping. And uh, we pray for them all just the same. But I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm glad today I'm going to get to uh, uh, pull a double here this morning. And so I'm excited about that. And I want to just say right now, we'll mention it later, but uh, the the Vances always do such a beautiful job around here at Christmas time. Everything looks so pretty. And I think we ought to just give them a little hand clap of appreciation. Amen. Did you, did y'all notice the the new podium? That is uh, that's solid steel. It's heavy. It's nice. The other one was a little trial, and this is what I, I wanted. And Brother Tony well built this, and uh, and it is super fine, all laser cut. I'm i just I like it. It ain't going anywhere. You just don't want to hit your head on it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Today And we are going to pray because I have uh, a lengthy reading and I believe this is going to be for several people and uh, I think it's going to be a life changing even in this uh, smaller crowd setting and uh, I do have a question though from now on if you see people leaving at 10 o'clock ask them where they're going. You see, you see folks leaving, you know they're going to be back at 11. Where are they going? Tell them when they walk out next time, just say, hey, you know you're missing one-third of the meals God's offering up here for you every week. And you're doing that by choice. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's a whole other deal. Well, glory. We're going to talk about uh, a strange thought this morning, but it'll be, uh, it'll be okay. How many of you taught your children or your nieces, nephews, friends, neighbors' kids, quit scribbling on the walls. Quit writing on everything. Everything in our house must have looked like a pen, and everything must have looked like paper. Uh, because uh, coming up, I can't—I don't know how many times we killed various things and painted over them and fixed them and worked on furniture. But I want to talk to you for a little bit today. From this thought, it's time to scribble. To scribble. Now, we couldn't do this at 11 o'clock because the kids would be in here. And y'all have to all deal with it when you get home. But we are going to talk about it today. And this is uh, fresh and new on my 
mind, and it's just off the fire, and I'm excited about it. And so I want us to pray. I'm not going to ask you to stand for this lengthy reading, and so let's just pray together right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. You're an awesome God. You're an on-time God. You're a prayer-answering God. You're a way-making God. Ask you to move in this place. Touch us. Let us hear your word. Let us understand it. Let us respond to it. And we thank you for it. We'll give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's love him one more time. Come on, let's just love him for a few moments. We got a, we got a few moments to love the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your attendance today, and I hope your Thanksgiving was wonderful. We're going to 2 Kings chapter 25, and we're going to read uh, a few verses there. We'll read through 7, then we'll jump uh, a little further in that chapter. 2 Kings 25 and 1. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign... In the tenth month, I'm sorry, I still hear pages turning. I'll give you a moment, let you get there. Second Kings 25. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it, Round about, and the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way towards the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah. And they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. We'll skip down to 18. And the captain of the guard took Sarah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door. And out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war, and five men of them that were in the king's presence, which were found in the city, and the principal scribe of the host, which mustered the people of the land. And threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the city. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to king of Babylon in Riblah. And the king of Babylon smote them and slew them in Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of the land. Now, there was a whole lot of reading right there, but ultimately what that comes down to is that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to take over all of God's land. He wanted to take over the people. He wanted to take over the place of praise, the city of praise, the nation of praise, the country, all of these people. And there were many prayers made. Uh, and the prayers were, were made over a period 
of time. I, I find it interesting sometimes, and I know you do too. We've all seen it uh, in raising our children, but it's, it's, it's crazy sometimes how uh, adults can respond if you don't answer a question in time. Oh, y'all get ready. So I got a text yesterday, somebody I rarely ever hear from. When I do, they need something, and it's okay. I, I, I'm a giver. I, I'm a lover of souls. I love people. But knowing that I had dealt with these particular situations in the past, before I could start to respond on a text message, I got another text. And so I started reading that one. Then I got another one, and then I got another one. Five texts in like 11 minutes, but the last one was pure anger. I have not responded and hadn't solved all the family problems. I had 11 minutes to even process the first one. And then I thought, well, you know, if they'd call me and tell me they love me every now and then, I might feel a little different about it. You know, but uh, five questions, four questions in 11 minutes, and the last one is, well, I guess you're not going to help me. Uh, I might have been in the shower. You know, but... But even adults are, are, are crazy sometimes. We're just that way. We ask the Lord for something. If he don't respond right away, we get mad and say, fine then. Well, so it was in this day. There was a lot of, uh, uh, there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of uh, wondering. There was a lot of prayer. And there was a lot of asking, God, when are you going to take care of us? What are you going to do? How are you going to settle this? And you know what the Lord done? He didn't respond. He allowed the enemy to come in and just pillage and take and kill and destroy. And I began to read this because for whatever reason, the Bible is very clear. It's not always real clear. Uh, generally, war comes and everybody's taken over and those that aren't killed are taken into slavery. But in this particular setting, the Bible is very clear about who was left, who was killed, and who was intentionally taken and destroyed. And so the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, he seems, because of the reading, to be uh, very cruel, just unprovoked killings. It's, it's like uh, women and children and, and, and various things. And we read it throughout Scripture, and God's people done it as well because he didn't want a remnant of sin left. So he'd say, hey, you get rid of everything. You don't save anything. Don't save anybody because what you don't kill will come back to kill you. And we, we know of one very, very uh, notable time where that happened in the life of Saul. But we, we can all understand a little bit the art of war. You, you take out all of the, the key places. You take out all the key people. You destroy all the, the important things. You, you settle all the issues that, uh, that are high-ranking. And sometimes that can uh, send a little fear and a little shudder down through uh, the kingdom, and it calls everybody else to just get right in line. You know, and when you see your big brother getting whooped, you don't mess with the enemy. You know, and so a lot of times that's how it is, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, on, a, on a several occasions does, uh, does just like that. He just takes care of what he needs to in the history of, of war. But uh, if you get a general or a captain uh, or a sergeant, that's, that's understandable. That guy may pull something together. And you could go down all the way as far to maybe the people that 
are making true the arrows and maybe those that are delivering ammunitions to the battlefields. And maybe in war, those people are worthy of death. They, they could always pull together somebody that they know and, and maybe bring war or retaliation, even if it's years down the line. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's common to destroy those people. They're considered warriors. They're part of the war. They're considered warriors. But there's one in here that just does not make any battlefield sense, especially in our modern society. I, as I studied this, this morning, I discovered a book, and I, I would love to read it, and it says I, I can get a copy of it still. But in the uh, 5th century B.C., there was a Chinese uh, military strat, uh, strategist by the name of Sun Tzu. It's S-U-N-T-Z. You And he wrote a short book, just 13 chapters, and it's called The Art of War. Now, uh, Colonel Oliver North has written some similar writings and books since then, but this is considered to be one of the original writings on the art of war, the ebb and flow, and, and sometimes you give a little here to make the enemy think, I'm winning, when all the time you got a bigger plan over there. It's like sending 100,000 troops on the east flank and everybody going there and send 2 million to the west flank. And so it's just, uh, it's the art of war. And so that book would instruct just total decimation. The way Mr. Sue writ, uh, wrote this book, it was written in such a way that he, he states that uh, if you destroy everyone, if you tear down everyone, if you just brutally go in even when the war is over and, and commit genocide and murder and, and kill everybody, then what you can do is you can send a fear into the generations to come. You don't stand against those people. Your children will pay the price. And so it's the art uh, of war and in many times and many places it is written to total annihilation however in our reading King Nebuchadnezzar did not have that mentality historically or beyond this he always chose who he would kill and he would do it very methodically and he was uh, nearly the perfect enemy but there's something interesting here, and I want us to go back to verse 19 and read uh, a couple of the people that he demanded that they be destroyed. And here's what he said in 19. And out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war. That, that makes sense. He took five men of them that were in the king's presence. Now, those men were servants. But they were servants of the king, so maybe they knew something. Maybe they had some understanding. I don't know. Maybe there was a reason he felt challenged by them. But he took those five men as well. He said, they've been in the presence of the king. Round them up. And uh, they were found in the city. And the principal scribe of the host. And the principal scribe is something that caught my attention. The word scribe is our English root word to scribble. Oh, here we go. And it says uh, that to get the uh, principal scribe of the host, which mustered the people of the land, and threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the city. So naturally, I've got to know what the word mustard means. I know now what the scribe is. His job is to sit in the presence of any priest. And anything he hears, he writes it down. 
Everything in our Bible came through the art of the scribe. Somebody wrote it. Somebody jotted down everything. And so they would also do that in the presence of the king. The reason this happened is because if the king said five years from now, if you haven't paid your debt, I'm going to wipe out you and all of your family. Well, in five years, it is the scribe's responsibility to say, O king, live forever. But you stated this five years ago. And for your word to remain true, I've got to remind you that you spoke it and I wrote it. So he wrote everything. I mean, he recorded it. It didn't matter. He, he recorded everything. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, get that guy and kill him just like he is a warrior. Kill him. And he's not a warrior. He, he's not into battle at all. Never was. I couldn't find a place in Scripture where the scribe ever drew a sword or, or, or wielded a knife or shot an arrow. I, I can't find that anywhere. But he stayed close to the king and the priest to continue jotting down and writing down these things. And the Bible said that Nebuchadnezzar said, go find him. He's in the city and I want you to kill him. I want you to kill him. I want you to get rid of him, not take him out. And so you start wondering, what's the purpose? Why, why, do you take, why, why do you take a historian, just somebody that's written things down, somebody that's just uh, scribbled, he's made notes, he, he's a scribe, he, he's, a, he's a guy that he, he poses no threat on anybody. He, he's probably a modern-day nerd. Very possibly. If his only job is to walk around behind the king and the priest with a pad and say, okay, jot it all down, write everything down, make sure nothing's missed where it can be passed forward. But for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? This guy's got to die. And there's a reason because throughout Scripture, scribes could change the outcome of a lot of things. Because if he said it, oh, well, I should have saved this to 11 o'clock. Well, I'll just share one with you in Esther 2 and 21 through 23. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Xerxes. It's doesn't look like doesn't look like that, but it is. And the king was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. So there's something that we have to realize. Mordecai, he's not of those people. If you know the story of, uh, of Esther, he, he would later, there would be an order for him to be destroyed and killed and hung on the gallows, and we'll get to a little bit of that later. But Mordecai understood something about the nation. He understood something about the people. He understood something about all of these things. And so he made sure to do something. As soon as he heard there was two men plotting a murder against a king that he didn't even like, he said, I'm going to go tell somebody to write that down. That might come in handy someday that I spoke up for the king that could have me killed. <laughs> oh, watch this. Then I'm going to just read a little bit and then I'm going to teach. Easter. Esther 6 and 1. The king couldn't sleep 
And if you read this historically, it is kind of his deal. He would he'd get somebody to come and, and, and get the scrolls or get the things that had been penned in the past. And so this is one of these nights in Esther 6 and 1 through 7. On that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of records. Records. The scribbles. The writings of the scribes. He says, I want to know. He said, your voice will put me to peace. There's a lot of things going on. And, and, and I'm, I'm making a decision on who's going to live and who's going to pass and who's going to survive and who's going to make it through this thing. And, and I'm, I'm trying to determine all of these things right now and I can't sleep. Would, would you just come remind me what I said? Remind me of the history. Tell me, it will bring peace to me. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written, it was found written, listen to this, that Mordecai had told of the big fan and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Xerxes. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. You know what they've done? They searched the records. They said, I can't find out anything anywhere. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows. And he had prepared for him, that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? Boy, that, that's, that gives us a spirit right there. When, it, when it's all about me, that's, that's, that's the spirit of the enemy. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. But in his heart, the Bible said he thought, oh, he wouldn't want to honor anybody more than me. I've been there for him. Matter of fact, I've already built these, these gallows out here to hang Mordecai. Oh. Esther 7, 9 through 10. And Harbanah, one of the chamberlains, and said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. How did they know he spoke good of the king? Somebody wrote it down. They scribbled it. The scribe made it, made it into the, 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 the ledger of history. Then the king said, hang them thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So I want to just tell you a, a little something. I, I believe it is important for us to write some things down. I think it's time for us to scribble on our own behalf. I think we've been reading the past too long and we don't know anything about the future. Oh. So what would have been done to Mordecai and what was built for him and what was going to be used against him ultimately ended up destroying Haman, the man who created that and, and had ordered the killing of this good man. But, but in 
prior time, Mordecai said there's two guys that's planning to kill the king and I want to make sure that this gets scribbled down somewhere because if there ever comes a day, now he can't imagine this, but now we know this side of the story. If there ever comes a day, Haman decides to hang me. I'm going to make sure that the writings, uh, it's all right. The scribe, he, he's a modern day reporter except he writes things to keep for history. He, he doesn't go to the news broadcast. He doesn't go tell everything he knows. He, he writes things privately. He, he's always on the side of, of truth, not who he likes. He's not a partisan. Doesn't matter. He, he's about the truth. It doesn't matter if he likes the man, if he doesn't like the man, what side of politics or what side of the law he's on. He's got one job, and that is to scribe down what is true. All right. Here we go. Back to Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible said that the scribe could muster the people. So I want to know, why is it that Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill a reporter and not a reporter for today, not on live television or internet or, or text messaging or social media, but this is stuff that's going to be written down and, and read over the ages. This, this is going to be history. A lot of this stuff's going to make it to the Bible and, and because great kings and, and God spoke to men and, and, it was, and it was scribbled down somewhere. Now it's put into the pages and there it is. And, and the bad king can recognize a lot of times what's been written. Here's the problem. He didn't have an issue with the principal scribe. He had a problem with the scribblings. <laughs> oh, we're fixing to talk right here. Because here's what happened. This, this scribe. What he had done is he had written down every miracle the priest had ever told him of that had happened in the past or, or prophetically in the future. He told him what's coming. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar recognizes. He said, this guy can muster the people. Muster the people meant he can gather up a large crowd very quickly because of what he knows. Nobody knows what the scribe knows. Nobody knows what these guys know. They, they don't understand because they're on the inside. They're right there when he talks at the very intimate times of a king's life. When he's looking for a wife, there's a scribe there. It's how we get all the notes about Esther. When there's other things happening, there's a scribe there. He writes that down, and no matter what, it's put into the records. It's put into the files. And Nebuchadnezzar is smart enough to recognize there's a scribe out there. He's not a man of war. He's not sharpening knives and arrows. He's not shooting the bow. He's not even holding a shield. But he's got knowledge. Knowledge is power. Power is victory. Watch this right here. Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you got to kill all these people. Take out all of them. You take the king. You do this with them. But a whole lot of people escaped the wrath. But there was a guy, and he was a scribe, the, the principal scribe, the one, the main guy, the guy that was doing it all. He said, you got to take that guy. you got to take him down. you got to treat him just like a warrior. you you got to kill this guy. You got to destroy him. Why? Because what he can do is he can get together and he can start showing the people what God done before. 
Hear me. He can start reminding the people of the miracles that the Old Testament unseen God, Jehovah, had performed before, and he might rally a group of people together through his knowledge. He may not be a warrior. He may not be a sharpshooter. He, he may not be any of those things. But he has got knowledge and the things that he writes down. If he can get the people to listen, he can muster up a large group and they'll turn against us. Why? Because if he begins to write about some things of the past or some prophetic things of the future, if he starts writing about all the miracles done in the wilderness... What if he starts reading that manna fell from heaven? What if he starts reading about the quail? What if he starts reading about the waters parting? What if he starts reading about water coming out of a flint rock enough to take care of three and a half million people? What if he starts reading about the things of the past? What's going to happen is God's people are going to rally around the miracles of the past. You see... It's why the Bible teaches us to hide his word in our heart because there may come a day we don't have the written version. There may come a day we don't have an electronic version. There may come a day when it's stripped away from us. But if we can hide it in our heart, we become as a scribe that can muster the troops and we can say, hey, somebody listen to what I'm telling you. There was a time when I was sick and the Lord raised me up. There was a time my family was in trouble and the Lord delivered us. There was a time when bankruptcy was on the horizon but God somebody ought to praise him right now for what you know I dare you in this 10 o'clock service to just praise him for what you already know now watch let's do a little teaching right here the Lord even told Jeremiah somewhere along chapter 22 or 23. He said, you write down the things that God has done. You make sure it's scribbled. You make sure that the scribe takes this and puts it to paper somewhere because there's going to come a time when you're struggling. There's going to come a time when you're behind. There's going to come a time when, there, when there's more month than money and there's more fight than flame and there's no more passion. There's no more love in your home. There's nothing but struggles. There's going to come a time. But what I want you to remember, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, is this right here that I'm the same God that was then and I am now if you'll write it down on your heart today you won't forget it when you face it again tomorrow it's time for some of us to start scribbling down the miracles of God what has he done for you where did he bring you from why do we doubt him now hell hates an educated saint of God Hell hates a Bible thumper, but he hates one a whole lot more that can quote it. It's one thing to read. It's another thing to quote. It's one thing to read it and, and, and read it and say, da, 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 line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. That's good when you apply it to the Word of God. That's good stuff, but the fact is this. When you know it because it's been written in your heart. Some of us need to be like that principal scribe. We need to start scribing things on our heart so that hell can't get us the next time we face it.
Watch this. It's wonderful. I'm glad you know and believe. How many of you believe Jesus walked on water? Well, that's good to know. That is so good to know. How many of you believe he turned the water into wine? How many of you believe he really took care of ten lepers? How many of you believe that there was some praise given through that? How many of you believe that he healed the palsy? And he healed the, the hand that was, that was drawn, the withered hand. He stretched it out. How many of you really believe that beside the pool of Bethesda, a guy that lay there for 38 years, the Lord could walk up to him and say, hey, what's the problem? He said, nobody do it. He said, I'd ask you for an excuse. I want to know what you want. I believe all these things. I believe he was crucified. I believe he was beaten. I believe all of these things. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Mordecai showed us something. And we need to get a hold of it on this Sunday morning in this 10 o'clock hour. We need to understand that Mordecai wrote things now to preserve later. I'm glad you believe he turned the water into wine. I do too, and it's a good thing. But here's the question. Can he steal? I'm glad you can raise your hand and say, Oh, I believe the Bible. Can he walk on water? Still. Can he calm the storm? Still. Well, he filled those with the Holy Ghost. He had all these people. He even had one guy from the Gadarenes come crawling up with 6,000 devils in him. He didn't say a word to him. All 6,000 ran up and bowed down at the feet of Jesus Christ and began to worship him without a band, without a preacher, just the presence of God himself. Do you think he can still do those things? You want me to tell you why it was written down? So we could refer to it when hell comes to us. Somebody scribbled it for me. But here's what he told Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to begin to write the things you want me to do. Woo, anybody read that? Write it down, Jeremiah. Scribble it. I know you're not a scribe by profession, but you got to scribble these things down, man. You got to make sure you know. Here's what I'm teaching to some people on this Sunday morning in Life Point Church in Terrell, Texas, is you ought to write some things down how the future's going to be. If you can write them down how you feel today. When you come to a low place in your life and you can't sleep at night and you need a little encouragement and you open up your own mental and hard-edged scrolls and you say, God spoke to me on the last Sunday in November and told me my family would be saved. I'm not going to be discouraged now. He told me I wouldn't fail in bankruptcy. I won't be discouraged now. He told me I wouldn't make a mistake in this area. I refuse to be some of us, it's time to scribble down the future of our life. Well, I'm just a loser. Write that down. You know why? Because when it comes time, you can't sleep and the enemy's tormenting your mind and you're trying to decipher right from wrong and good from bad and, and pure from evil. You need to be able to read something that doesn't say, I'm a loser. You need to read something that says, maybe he walked out. 
Maybe she left me, but I am going to continue to live for God. While I'm hurting, I'm writing that down. You know why? Because when the day comes and hell reminds you of some past where you failed him or your family collapsed, you can say, yeah, but I also see here where I wrote down, he had never leave me. He had never forsake me. He'd be here to the end of the world. Some of us need to start scribing our future. Oh, I wish you'd praise him for 30 seconds. You control if you hang or if you live. Without getting too personal, we got five or six minutes here. Somebody over here, tell me what you're going to scribe about tomorrow. Write that down. You got a pad? Write it down that you said that today. What time is it? 10.38 a.m. Sunday morning, the 26th, 7th. Now, hear me, because now I'm talking directly to you. In a month... When hell comes and says, well, some of them's in there, but they're not all in there. That will never be saved or this will never happen. If that happens, you go back to what you scribbled this morning. And you say, I put my faith in God. I wrote it down so I'm not on the gallows a month from now. My spirit is not dead to promises, but I live because of my own faith. See, there's some folks, they can, tell them, they can tell you all about the water to wine. They can tell you about the revival of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. But they don't believe in declaring a miracle for the future. I want to tell you something. There's so many people focused on the past, they can't even see the future. Quit telling me about the good old days. What were they anyway? Oh, those were the good old days. What, you couldn't lock, you, you, you'd go, go to bed at night and then lock your door? But when somebody did break in, it wasn't nobody to call. Forever good, I can give you two bads in every day we live in. And for every bad, I can give you two goods. Times haven't changed. As time has moved along, so has everything with it. All of us will look back someday and this will be the good old days. I don't remember who it was, but I remember it was a song. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Some of you got kids right now, and you'll be looking at pictures that you took this Thanksgiving and say, oh, those were the good old days. And what you'll be referring to is somebody in the picture has gone on to their reward. Those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Hear me. We've got to write some things down. Now, if you're speaking that in faith, and you believe that, And if you see that it does not happen and hell comes and says, hey, what about this? You say, let me remind you of something. The Bible said there's a hell that's been created, not for me, but for you. Why? Because it's already been scribed. 
It's already been scribbled in history. You remind the enemy, I may not be what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. But you, on the other hand, don't have an option. It is written, saith the Lord. We got three minutes. Somebody tell me right here in this section. Just give me, describe it. Who is it? Nobody? Right here. Anybody got anything in the future? All right. We won't, we won't tarry. I will see all my kids go down in this baptism and sit on the pews. You know what I'd do? I'd take the time. There's scripture for it. I'd mark the moment. I'd mark the place. I'd mark the time. And I know there's some things some of y'all like to say you can't say publicly. I understand it. God understands this. There's no rebuke. But what you ought to do is you ought to write it down today. Set a reminder on your clock. 30 days from today, remind me of this note. If it hadn't happened, set it for another 30. Because the enemy will say, well, you called him once. You called him, you called him five times in 11 minutes. And since he didn't answer, he's the devil now. No, you got to scribe it. You got, it's time for some of us to start scribbling where our father recognizes we're writing on walls and we're writing on pews and we're writing on Bibles and we're writing on notepads. There's gonna be a revival in this land that we've never seen coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. They're gonna come from the rich and the poor, the north and the south. They're gonna come from this side of town and that side of town. I believe there's coming a day if time stands where Life Point Church will have to have a translator. Oh, see, it was real easy for you to think, oh, yeah, we need to get some people that speak Spanish because our population's 35% Hispanic or Spanish-speaking. But here's what I want you to know. We've already got that. What about the Asian? You know, the city of Terrell has a huge population of Laotian people that have a soul. What would it mean to talk to them in their native tongue about Acts 2.38? Scribe something. So now somebody just tell me. I got one minute left. Somebody tell me something that you're going to declare right now is going to happen in your world. Write that down. Text it to yourself. If you didn't know you could do that, you know you can write a text and whoever you want to send it to, you can put your own name in there. Text it to yourself. Okay, write that down. Write it down. I'm glad you tell me. I'm glad you believe water into wine. I'm glad you believe that he spoke peace. But if you believe that, write it down and say it's done according to my faith. I'm scribbling into my own future. Anybody else right here? Go ahead and start the music, brother, even though I've got 40 seconds. Anybody else? Does anybody want to make a declaration? See, right here's where fear comes. Sister, write that down. Because you just, you just made a bold statement. You said, I declare 
She didn't declare that on her power or my power or the authority of this church or how, how good the choir sings. She declared that in the name of the Lord. She just done some scribbling on her spiritual heart that says the day is coming when my family will not battle addiction. Anybody else want to share one? It's 1045. Anybody else want to do a little scribbling right now? Then let's just all stand and scribble together. Why don't you lift your hands towards heaven and declare the ways of the Lord. Speak them into the future. Pastor, that's strong. Oh, Mordecai had done it in the land of the enemies and it saved his life. Jeremiah was instructed to do it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John and all those that followed were instructed. Write that down. Somebody's going to need it. Now I want to challenge you to do one more thing in one minute of overtime. Why don't you speak that with your voice all across this building? I declare revival over this church. Not just this neighborhood, not just this area, but as long as the arm of God will allow us to reach. I declare revival over this place. Not of just backsliders or just home people, but I declare it over every sinner, over every drug addict, over every family that's fallen apart, over every child that's flunking in school, over our education system, over our politics. I declare and scribble on my heart, it is done. And it is so through the power of Jesus Christ. I dare you to praise him right now. Hell is coming after your words. He's coming after your scribblings. But you put them on your heart. Woo. I'm looking forward to 11 o'clock. Let's come in ready. God bless you. I love you. You're the best.